Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We are incredibly busy on today's show. couple guests for you coming up. Dr. Brad Register, Athens-based orthopedic surgeon, former UGA letterman, will give us some insight into the injury recovery for George Pickens, the timeline on all of that, the situation with Jermaine Burton, and obviously what now appears to be better news than it otherwise could have been. We'll do all of that with uh, Dr. Register later on in today's show. Really nice to have medical expertise because goodness knows I have none of that. So good to be able to get that from him later on the show. That's exactly what we'll do. Of course, Terrence Edwards, the former Georgia wide receiver, he will join us on today's show there as well. Terrence is close with Jermaine Burton. as a guy that's trained Burton and we'll kind of find out from him kind of you know how all of this is going as Jermaine maybe now still in pretty good shape for UGA after the scare earlier this week of the injury situation. So we'll talk to experts both in terms of Burton as a player and the medical situation for all these guys before we're done here today. Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Let me begin, though, with this. There's a lot of stuff in college football that's about kind of bragging about some sort of innovation you've brought to the sport. And some of this kind of stuff kind of gets silly. You know, the other day you had Tennessee sort of bragging about sports bras for their players, which was, I thought was kind of strange. But but nonetheless, there's a lot of, hey, we're leading the way in doing this. And sometimes that's facilities-based. Look how nice our building is. Sometimes that's like sports science-based. Look how much we know about our players. And all of that makes a lot of sense. You can understand why programs would want to tout that. You know, this idea that we're doing it better than anybody else in terms of leading the way on something. But sometimes this kind of stuff sort of means more than others. And sometimes there's this race to say, well, so-and-so is copying us. We actually did this first. And as an example of like the silliness related to some of this kind of stuff, remember when uh, Notre Dame game for Georgia in 2019, there was the LED lights. It was the first night game since Georgia had had these new lights put in. It was kind of a cool you know, scene. The atmosphere around the stadium was unbelievable, and everybody was having a good time with that. CBS certainly loved televising that game. It was a big Georgia win over the Fighting Irish. The crowd was obviously raucous the entire time. Everybody seemed to enjoy it with the exception of the folks at Alabama who said, but we've got LED lights and we had ours first and Georgia's just copying us, which is like the dumbest, like most childish thing you could ever hear. But you remember Alabama fans and Alabama, some folks even maybe within kind of the institutional framework saying we had the LED lights, Georgia just copied us. Georgia then had to furnish receipts to say, no, we didn't copy anybody when it comes to these LED lights. But the point here is, is that's how serious this stuff gets taken from time to time. Who's copying whom when it comes to the big innovations in college football and that's one of the reasons why Georgia getting credit for something in particular I think is it may not be all that important necessarily but it's probably worth bragging about a little bit it's probably worth patting yourself on the back if you're a Georgia fan just a little bit of a sense of pride that in one particular instance a true innovation from from the University of Georgia that seems to in my mind be having a positive impact on how college football is going to be played going forward yesterday 
on SEC Country Live. And by the way, so many of you have been so kind to say nice things about the return of that show. We're doing it every Wednesday now, 3 p.m. on the SEC Country video channels, SEC Country and Facebook, SEC Country Live on YouTube. So many of you have had so many nice things to say about that, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Show's a ton of fun to do. I'm really proud to be a part of it and really so thankful for so many of you who've tuned in for it. But the point is, on the show yesterday, we had Mr. College Football Tony Barnhart, who you've seen for years in the SEC Network, who's been you know veteran college football writer, just a tremendous, I would say, historian for the SEC, but also tremendous voice analyst still covering the SEC right now is uh, Tony Barnhart. Uh, great stuff. And we're talking about, you know, kind of the 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 new scheduling model that seems to exist in college football. And that was furthered again yesterday when Georgia announced a home-and-home home with, with Louisville coming up. And the fact that you have this going on, but also maybe a push by the SEC to have a little bit more aggressive scheduling model maybe within the, the conference itself. And Tony, who covers the entire SEC and covered all of college football for a long time, says he really thinks that when you look at what has led to this new aggressive idea of, of scheduling in place, Tony says a lot of the credit for that should actually go to the University of Georgia and its coach, Kirby Smart. This is what Tony Barnard said yesterday on SEC Country Live about how it is that we got to a place where aggressive scheduling is now the norm in college football. Good stuff from Tony. Listen to this. The athletic directors are hearing it from their fans. We want experiences. We want road trips we haven't had before. We want to go play. I'm telling you, the Georgia-Notre Dame game yeah. at Notre Dame in 2017 changed everything. It really did. Because now everybody's looking, hey, why can't we go to Notre Dame? Why can't we go to UCLA? Why can't we go to Penn State like Alabama's going? So that's number one. Number two, I am not going to pay you $125 to watch you play Western Carolina. I'm just not going to do it. So I think that what Tony says there, at least you know, by and large, representing a, a kind of a broad swath of the college football world, I think is really true. I, I do think, for whatever reason, in these modern times, people are just busy. They seem to have a lot going on, and the stranglehold that sports once had over all of society, I mean, it's still obviously huge, but it may be not quite as big as it once was, that people do, whether it's their... Honestly, I don't know what people do. I, they're with their kids, they're going hunting, whatever else. Just somehow, some way, college sports being, or it's just sports in general being this thing that people feel like they have to do. In some cases, that's not always the case anymore. So the fact that George is working really hard to say, we're going to make sure that our product, Georgia football, SEC football, college football, remains as top of mind, remains as paramount in people's you know minds as it always has. We're going to go out there and schedule the most aggressive type of scheduling we can get. I think that's a really cool brand for Georgia. And I think that what Tony points out there is true. Georgia did this first with Notre Dame and then started adding games against like Texas and Oklahoma and Ohio State and all the other big you know programs that Georgia's added in recent years. And sure enough, lo and behold, couple of you know months later here comes Alabama they're doing some of the same kind of stuff scheduling some of the same kind of teams and on and on and on it has gone with these big non-conference schedulings to now even a school like Florida that has for a long time really held out on the idea that it wanted to have any of these kinds of big non-conference games knowing they already play Florida State at the end of the year and they're content to kind of play directional FCS level programs in the month of September they've long been a holdout on this kind of stuff even now Florida is scheduling some of these kinds of games 
because that's clearly the direction the sport is moving. And as I said before, as someone who has the Georgia G on his shirt today and a Georgia fan, it does make me a little bit proud to know that Georgia is the one that has kind of ushered all of this in. And frankly, as a consumer of college football, not just Georgia games, but the rest of the sport there as well, I also think it's just better for college football overall that you've got these kind of Power 5 teams playing other Power 5 teams and maybe in a you know year to come. Uh, that's all Georgia's going to be playing are Power 5 teams on their uh, schedule. I think that's kind of a, a really good thing for the sport. But there's also this, and Tony brought this up yesterday too, that in the midst of doing this, even adding Louisville, who you know yesterday Georgia announced, kind of a mid-level ACC team, not a big national brand the way that Oklahoma or Ohio State is, but even doing that, you are adding a Power 5 team to your schedule. That means in 2026, Georgia's got games against what? UCLA, still Georgia Tech, Power 5, at least for now, um, uh, Louisville Power 5 uh, program. Uh, that's three non-conference Power 5 games. The following year, take UCLA off, put Florida State on. You've got three non-conference Power 5 opponents there. And as Tony Barnhart explains, echoing something that Kirby Smart has said before, all of this is about posturing for what might eventually be an expansion of the college football playoff from SEC Country Live, Tony Barnhart once again. But it's a balancing act. You also got to take care of your coach and don't ask him to play 12 tough games in a season. It's a balancing act, and there's one that we're going to continue to talk about. But the trend of good intersectional rivalry games, that is going to continue because I think, Brandon, we're going to have an 18 playoff here in about four or five years. And the coaches want to know, if I step out and play this schedule, can I get into the playoff with two losses? And the answer to that question had better be yes, or I'm not stepping out. As I've told you before, I'm excited about the move towards better schedules, not just for Georgia with the rest of college football, but honesty also compels me to admit that if what Tony just describes there is true, and Kirby Smart has echoed almost that same sentiment going back a couple of years ago, if that's going to happen, it is going to require some sort of change in the current thinking of the college football playoff selection committee because the idea of we're going to reward good teams for playing tough schedules, that's not really the way the committee operates now. You know, they like power five well-known teams with a zero or a one in the loss column more suddenly like rewarding the teams that play the tougher schedules. If they were currently willing to do that, we would have seen more instances when two SEC teams would have gotten in the college football playoff as it stands right now. We've only seen that happen just the one time in 2017. But even if I have some skepticism about how quickly the committee is going to adopt the mindset of good teams who play tough schedules ought to be rewarded, it's still good for the overall nature of the entertainment product, which is what this sport is all about. So good stuff yesterday from Tony Barnhart on SEC Country Live and a fun new landscape for college football. Good teams playing better schedules and I don't know, as a dog fan, it makes me certainly very proud to think that UGA has been leading the way in all of that, the way that Tony Barnhart described there yesterday. Let me shift gears, talk about this here for a moment. Georgia got a kind of an interesting commitment yesterday from Brett Thorson, a punter who hails out of Australia. Now, this isn't all that unique to college football now in that a lot of programs have kind of reached into the uh, land, as it land down under, is that what we call Australia, to uh, find a uh, punter. Uh, but obviously, you know, this is kind of Georgia's first foray into all of this. Let me show you Thorson here on social media, who kind of celebrates his UGA commitment there saying he's extremely honored he kind of gives you the honored in the Australian spelling so this is already our first kind of foray into this being a little bit different in the fact that he's got the uh, U there in the word honored that's kind of a cool thing to say but he's honored to uh, say that he's committing to study play football at University of Georgia full scholarship for 2022 so uh, Thorson certainly has the look of a uh, very good punter here I also like what Todd Hartley the uh, UGA assistant coach uh, tight ends coach kind of gave his way of celebrating this 
Uh, he says a cheers, go dogs, and gives you a kangaroo there. There will be a lot of this kind of imagery related to Thorson when he steps on the field. If he had eventually emerges as George's punter, and it seems like he probably will be likely to do that. My prediction is, and there you guys see some nice video of him there from an interview that he's doing with Jeff Sintel there too. My prediction is, is that Thorson will be a huge fan favorite just because of the, the you know, kind of unique nature of all of this. When I was a kid, George had a defensive end named Richard Tarditz who was from France, and he was a huge fan favorite too just because I think they call him the Baritz Blitz because he was from Baritz, uh, France. You know, they're, just when you have something like that that's so different than everything else, Georgia fans just have a way of kind of gravitating towards that. So Thorson, I, I'm sure he knows what he's getting into as he travels up to the Northern Hemisphere here and starts to play college football in the SEC, a very big deal in these parts, and I'm sure that he will become a big deal to UGA fans there as well. The accent and everything else that goes along with that, I am sure that Thorson will be very well represented, uh, or I should say welcomed very well by UGA fans, and no doubt Georgia looking to capitalize on what so many other programs there has as well. Uh, very successful punters coming from uh, Australia, kind of a cool trend, Georgia now a part of all of that. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by our friends at Merriweather and Tharp. And glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all the video platforms, radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref Podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. Just really glad to uh, have you with us today. And as I said before, big thanks to our friends at Merriweather and Tharp for making it all possible. You know, the divorce process can be scary and confusing. It can even be a little uncomfortable to talk about. But one of the reasons why I'm always eager to tell Merriweather and Tharp's story on this show is because I know what they do for people. In a challenging time, in, as I said before, what can be a scary situation, my friends at Merriweather and Tharp step up to the plate to be an advocate, an ally on your side. Sometimes that means educating you about the process, and sometimes that may mean fighting for you in a tough situation. Whatever it is, that's what Meriwether and Tharp is ready to do. They've been through these kinds of things thousands of times, and the institutional knowledge you gain by doing that, they want to put that to work for you. So they're going to take a lot of steps for you along the way in this process, but the first step belongs to you. Reach out for that initial consultation. Go to the uh, website, theatlantadivorceteam.com. It's theatlantadivorceteam.com. Find out what so many folks in our audience have already discovered, that Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. All right, we're going to get Terrence Edwards coming up here in just a moment. Before that, let me go around the doghouse here today. And we had kind of a cool moment a little earlier this week when we got a chance to hear from Georgia defensive lineman Trayvon Walker, a guy who has absolutely been talked about in kind of uh, big terms this year as someone who could help fill a role, at least from a statistical uh, easy for me to say statistical standpoint of what Aziz Ojolari did for UGA uh, last season. Kirby Smart has kind of pegged Walker as maybe being one of the guys who may help fill that gap here this season. And for a defensive story for Georgia that includes, listen, breaking in new guys in the secondary, challenging for the lack of experience there, a lot being asked of that Georgia front seven here this season, defensive line, linebackers included. Trayvon Walker says that group is absolutely ready for the challenge they're you know, awaiting here this upcoming season. We just all have to step up and be the leaders that we know we can be and that we're being coached to be. Just lead the younger guys in the right direction to show them for later years to come for them to be leaders also. 
So he wants to help those young guys. And as I said before, young guys in the secondary, one of the ways you can do that is to give opposing quarterbacks less time to throw. Getting after them from a pass rush standpoint, there's no doubt that in 2020, Georgia's probably better from a pass rush standpoint than it had been in any of the previous years under Kirby Smart. And Trayvon Walker says this Georgia defensive line wants to lead the way in making sure that continues here this season as well. One thing that we've always been focused on because we always looked at it as a run-stopping defensive line or a defense. Uh, our pass rush really don't get noticed like that a lot of the times, and that's something that we're prided on right now and trying to get out there. The numbers back up with Walker saying there, Georgia fewest rushing yards allowed in both 2019 and 2020. That's a good thing, but also getting after the quarterback, that may be an even better thing when you look at the recipe towards winning a national championship. And Walker says UGA is ready to do more in that regard here this season. And of course, for him, kind of playing on the outside and the outside linebackers and all the dynamic athletes that Georgia has defensively, Walker also says that what they're going to be trying to get done this season is aided when you have a potential first-round pick like Jordan Davis as your nose guard when you have a guy like Devontae Wyatt who had a chance to leave Georgia after this past season but chose to come back when you have those big anchors in the interior of your defensive line all of a sudden everything happening around both Wyatt and Davis all of a sudden it gets a lot easier to accomplish those two on the inside are a big help to us on the outside and the middle linebackers because if it's closed on the inside they have no other choice other than the bouncing in that leaves the ends and the linebackers to make the play And then finally, there's this from the recruiting class after Walker in 2020. Walker, of course, coming in from the class of 2019. A defensive lineman in that class that actually reminded folks a lot of Trayvon Walker was Jalen Carter, a guy who really flashed some brilliance at time in the 2020 season. But according to what Trayvon Walker said when he met with the media a little earlier this week, he believes that the best could still be yet to come for Jalen Carter. In fact, we may see some of that here during the 2021 season. Jalen has been out there with me a lot. He's growing tremendously as a player, learning the scheme of the defense, just growing up. And you can tell that he's really learning how to play the game of football at a collegiate level. Boy, I like the sound of that. Trayvon Walker, a dazzling young prospect in his own right, saying, boy, wait till you see what also Jalen Carter has in store for this season. Really good stuff from the Georgia defensive lineman Trayvon Walker there this week. Let me also tell you about this real quick before we get ready to speak to Terrence Edwards. At the UGA bookstore coming up G-Day weekend, What an incredible weekend it's going to be. You see there on your screen, if you're watching on video, two big days of autograph signing. Starting on Friday, April 16th from 4 to 6 p.m., you got Tyson Campbell, Ben Cleveland, Mark Webb. They're going to be there signing autographs. Then you move on to Saturday. That's the actual G-Day day. From 10 to noon there that day, you've got DeAndre Swift coming back. How about that? Along with uh, future first-round pick Aziz Ojolari. And then from noon until 2, you've got uh, one of the all-time Georgia fan favorites, Richard LeCount, on hand. So six big big autograph guests on G-Day weekend, both Friday and Saturday, April 16th, 17th. Once again, Tyson Campbell, Ben Cleveland, Mark Webb from 4 to 6 there on that Friday. And then Saturday, the day of G-Day on April 17th, DeAndre Swift back in town, Azizo Jalari from 10 to noon, then Richard LeCount from noon until 2. Unbelievable weekend there for the UGA Bookstore. Go to ugabookstore.com to find out more about this. It's right across from uh, the stadium, right next to the Tate Student Center. You can also give them a call to kind of reserve your spot, 706-542-3171. Let me give you the number once again, 706-542-3171. 3171. Reach out to them either at that number at ugabookstore.com. Secure your spot in line for this great, great series of autographs going down the UGA Bookstore on Friday and Saturday as we get ready for a G-Day on April 16th and 17th. Really good stuff. All right. 
Before we're done today, it's Dr. Brad Register from Athens Orthopedic Clinic. A uh, chance to hear from him on the injury recovery for Jermaine Burton. Sounds like good news on that. George Pickens, we'll wait and see. Also a little bit on JT Daniels before we're done. Really good stuff from former UJ football player and now orthopedic surgeon Dr. Brad Register on that before we're done. But for everything else related to the wide receiver situation for Georgia, frustrating to be talking about an injury once again, but still maybe a positive outlook overall. Let's find out more about that. Our buddy Terrence Edwards right here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And uh, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp, happy to have the former Georgia wide receiver Terrence Edwards on the program. Terrence, I love having you on the show. Your insight's always terrific. I have to be honest about one thing, though. I'm so tar- tired of talking about these wide receiver injuries, Terrence. Can we get some good news here at some point in time? Can we talk about what guys are doing on the field as opposed to what injury recovery is going to be like? To have to do this again, of course I'm joking here, but to have to do this again this week with Jermaine Burton, a week after we did this with uh, George Pickens, even though the Burton situation seems more optimistic, for a lot of Georgia fans, Terrence, they just had more of this they can stand, and I'm sure you understand that. Jermaine, and my mind just went to the worst uh, once he, exactly I heard that he was carted off the field. So my mind went to the worst, and um, I was relieved. Uh, he texted me back. I texted him earlier that when I heard it, he texted me back like at 12 o'clock. These kids these days, I'm asleep. So I got it the <laughs> next morning, <laughs> and he said he was fine. Uh, so he, he said he was fine, and I talked to him later that day, and uh, he just told me that, you know, he's kind of hyper and uh, he was going to be fine. I asked him how he did. He was just trying to go up for a back shoulder fade and just came down wrong. So he's fine. We could, we could up now to relax and breathe and yeah. just uh, look forward to, you know, getting healthy now and getting summer workouts going. What we have talked about kind of a lot is that when you have a hyperextension situation, you know, it, if you see it happen, right, it looks so terrible. And sometimes it ends up right. being bad, right? I mean, there are moments when it does. But it's one of those things that when you see it happen, you just immediately, as you said, you kind of immediately think the worst because it looks really bad. The knee's going one way, the body's going another way, and your mind immediately goes to just how you know uh, vulnerable that those you know tendons around that knee are. But there are moments, and thankfully in the case of Burton, where it turns out to be that maybe it's not as bad as it looks. A guy gets taken off the practice field, carted off, as the description we've all been given. Uh, your, your mind does go to these really dark places around all of that. But sometimes it ends up not being as bad as it initially sounds. And, boy, there's so many Georgia fans throwing up hallelujahs and saying thank you uh, that this one is ended up maybe being one of those situations where the, the initial fears were probably overstated. For Georgia fans, that, come, that ends up being a really good thing. I think so. You know, we we got bad news the week before, and now uh, I think the second-best receiver went down as well. So, you know, we feel the worst, hope for the best, and uh, I think we got the best outcome in this situation that he's just going to be, you know, out rehabbing now, just strengthening that knee, and he'll be ready uh, sooner than later and get ready for summer workouts, and let's let's get ready to play against Clemson. Yeah, and I think that's all really good news. I'm going to talk to you more about that in a moment, but as a former player yourself and – you know, unfortunately, you dealt with this with your brother. 
you know, the athletic careers, especially in college, right? You got four years to get all this done. Maybe you know, if you're, you you have a fifth year, and you know, we've kind of given guys extra year of eligibility because of the pandemic. But for most guys, it's like four years to get it done. And all you're praying for the entirety of that time is just let me be healthy. Let me make the most out of my college experience. Terrence, would you mind kind of speaking about this from the perspective of a player for? When you do have an injury concern, or in the case of George Pickens, who we talked about last week, when an injury actually does materialize, just what that means to the player who knows that he's only got a limited window of time to show what he's all about and make an impression on NFL scouts, or just as a you know competitive athlete, go out there and win and earn as much you know accolades as you can while you're in college. What's the mental m- mindset of a player when you have part of what's already fairly short, a college career, taken away because of injury? Right, it, it's, it's it's in the back of your mind as an athlete. You go in every season, man. You prepare like these workouts right now. If you have never played football at this level, uh, most fans will not understand what these players go through uh, mentally, physically, to prepare themselves to be the best player that they could be. So that's why I'm hesitant to even criticize a player because I know what mentally and physically yeah. how taxing it is. Uh, to prepare for a season. But now you put all that work into it, then something like this happened. I know George was looking to have a, a great season this year. I think we were all looking for him to probably be the next player to join the 1,000-yard club. And now all of that is gone. He's probably going to be out for the rest of the season. So that my your, your mindset is like, man, you know, why me? I think with my brother, we kept questioning why him. And we, are, we never know what God has in store for us. And we don't know, but we're still human. We still question and wonder why now. Uh, so George right now and the other player that going through this, you just got to get your support system around. You got to get people around you that truly care about you and not the football player to just bring light at, to you. And, and you can see light at the end of the tunnel when you have people around you. That's why Robert came back to Athens to do his rehab. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you said something a moment ago, and you kind of touched on this last week, and I love the way you said it about, hey, you know, you were texting some of the guys saying, I'm ready for one of y'all to join me in this club. And we kind of joked about how right now the 1,000-yard receiver club at Georgia, you're a little lonely in that room. You need somebody to join you. And, you know, obviously Jermaine Burton uh, would be, I would think, in a lot of folks' mind, the next one on that list, you know, after George Pickens, maybe because Pickens does have more experience, to kind of to kind of – you know, join, you know, a thousand yard type season, be a part of that conversation. You obviously know Jermaine really well. You've worked with him. He's not the only guy for Georgia that can't have big season. But what is about Burton in particular, in addition to the experience that he gained last year, that does kind of put him maybe at the doorstep of a, a breakout season here this year? He has all the traits that you're looking for. I mean, we have spoke about Jermaine and his abilities. Man, my gosh, for a long time. And he showed it last year. Yes, he had some freshmen. Uh, wall that he hit, some things that he know that he could do better. I think this spring was really big for him, the limited number of reps that he's taken so far. But he just gonna, he's going to need to take that second step in his second season to be the explosive playmaker that we all believe that he could be. And I truly believe he has the ability to get a 1,000. If he gets the opportunities that he needs, he will be in that, that group if he gets the opportunity. And our offense, uh, evolved to that downfield, being able to throw for 400 yards like we did twice last season, he will be in that category to possibly be in the 1,000-yard club. And that would be nice for a trooper of mine to be the next one on the street with me. 
That would be a, a really cool thing. That's exactly right. Of course, uh, when Jermaine Burton initially announced his first college commitment, he did so on your birthday. So to have that guy kind of following in your footsteps there as a thousand yard receiver, George, I think for a lot of Georgia fans, they would love the symmetry related to all of that. Let me also ask you this. A moment ago, you mentioned that, okay, so now he can kind of turn his attention to just kind of the, the work that he's going to be doing throughout the summer to get ready for the upcoming season, both from a you know, kind of re-strengthening that, you know, uh, you know, that knee and just also just continuing the work of getting ready to play this upcoming fall. What does the summer look like for a guy like Jermaine Burton? If he doesn't practice again the rest of the spring, what do those preceding weeks after that kind of look like? Now just rehabbing right now and trying to get that knee into the best shape possible. Um, during the summer, he'll just be working out, continue to uh, get his body stronger, continue to get faster, and just continue to work on his craft. I'm sure he will come home this summer and we will get some sessions in on, on the field, just continue to just trying to make him as the best receiver he could be. Uh, I mean, there may be some things he, he normally call me and ask me or tell me we need to work on this, or so we'll get on the field and we'll go work on it. So I'm sure there's some things in his game that he would like to continue to develop and uh, once he comes home, we would get on the field and, and try to develop those weaknesses that he feel he has in his game to be that next guy to, to join in, in the thousand yard club. That's the type of player he is. He's never satisfied. He's always looking to get better. So I'm not really very well educated on the subject I'm about to ask you about, but it has come up with a lot of fans here. You know, when you see multiple receivers who deal with knee injuries, a lot of fans wonder, is there some sort of preventative measure that can be taken? Obviously, we know how to strengthen muscles and we know how to, you know, increase endurance, things like that. We know how to improve that level of athletic performance. But it seems like when it comes to, you know, tendon strength and, and, and you know, things of that regard, you know, some of us may be not quite aware of what can be done. Is there anything that can be done from a preventative standpoint that you're aware of that can make, you know, guys like Burton or Pickens or Dominic Blaylock or anybody else you want to mention here make them less susceptible to knee injuries, or is this simply a function of bad luck? I think it's bad luck. I think the body, I'm not a doctor, but just my belief uh, that the body is not made for all this force that we put on it. Uh, these guys are strengthening every tendon ligament that they have in their body, so these things are prevented, but you really can't prevent them. Um, I think it's, it's the case of if your knee turns in a direction it does, it does not belong, things are going to snap. doesn't matter how much weight we lift. It doesn't matter. If, it puts, if you put your body in a streaming situation, bad things are going to happen. I just pray for, you know, I, I never had those things happen to me. Uh, I watched my brother uh, go through this. Uh, both of my brothers actually had ACL surgery. Right? So it's it, it just one of those things that when you're in an in a awkward position, your knee is going to snap. Well, Terrence, I certainly appreciate your time here on our show today. And I do want to remind folks that when it comes to, you know, working with those pass catchers, that's something you do on a regular basis, not just the guys that we see on TV on Saturdays, but all kinds of guys at the high school level and folks working their way to the high school level there as well. Your training academy sort of stretches out the entire gamut when it comes to football. So for folks who want to find out more about that, how can they find out you? Or last week you gave a shout-out for your brother's company. Anybody else's training company you want to give a shout-out for today, you're obviously free to do that as well. Yes, I, so I told my brother every week I would give him a shout-out. So any running backs out there as well looking to get trained by a uh, running back, that was a first-round pick, uh, Georgia legend, and he understands the game as well as I do. Uh, Robert Elt was on all social media, and myself, if anyone's looking to get their son taught in a proper way, 
in a way that he's going to understand the position in and out. You can find me on all social medias at Terrence Elwood's Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. I know we got a lot of stuff we'll be doing as we head towards G-Day here, so looking forward to doing all that with you. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp, and I'll look forward to talking to you again very soon. Okay, thank you, B.A., for having me. Good stuff there. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. And uh, don't forget, just a couple minutes, we'll be lucky to be joined by Dr. Brad Register, former UG player in his own right, and Athens orthopedic surgeon. Talk about the Burton situation, George Pickens, and everything else. Really good stuff. Uh, true medical expertise coming up here in just a couple of minutes' time. Let me also say this. This is not SEC-related as the SEC Through music cranks up, but uh, we do have some breaking news here. Uh, legendary... College basketball coach Roy Williams retiring as a head coach in North Carolina. Of course, former Kansas coach there as well, former UNC player. 33 seasons. Uh, he is uh, stepping back and uh, retiring here. So Roy Williams stepping down from North Carolina, one of the really the well-known names in the sport, uh, kind of stepping back. College basketball, a little bit like some of the stuff we've seen in college football and that you know we've seen kind of an excess of assistant coaches to the NFL. In college basketball, boy, you know, you saw John Beeline a couple years ago and Indiana have a hard time kind of finding a head coach as a replacement for uh, Miller there. Uh, you know, uh, the the job of finding big-time college basketball coaches seems to be getting a little bit more difficult for maybe a number of reasons. And uh, I certainly won't pretend to know why Roy Williams is stepping down from North Carolina, but interesting to see one of the big legends of the sport kind of uh, stepping down here. So Roy Williams gone from UNC, one of the recognizable faces from the ACC will not be patrolling the sidelines uh, next year. Before we do our SEC through here, and I want to tell you something funny that a Florida, former Florida defensive back have said, let me also give you a quick shout out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Waterproofing, foundation issues, two of the big things that homeowners might deal with from time to time. Well, ESOG, also proud partners of UGA, good friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily, they've got two full-time engineers on staff dedicated to make sure they're there to serve you and take care of you with all of your foundation waterproofing issues. Really easy to get in touch with. Simply give them a call, 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW, that for Engineered Solutions of Georgia. So yesterday, ESPN.com does a huge story on former Florida defense back Marco Wilson around the event of Florida's Pro Day. Wilson, of course, famous for the throne shoe that has been now immortalized forever with our golden shoe right here on the desk. Wilson was the one that threw the shoe that threw the shoe that led to the loss against LSU. Now you might expect a little bit of contrition here, man. I hate that I cost my team a game. That's not exactly what you got from Marco Wilson. I found this to be very odd quote. Uh, good job by Michael Carvel for pulling this up. He says, um, "That's actually no, okay. Yeah, uh, in that type of energy, what did people expect? Like I was going to hand it back to him nicely." I was super excited, and I threw it. I didn't uh, purposely do it. It was just a reaction. It went pretty far. I mean, I didn't think it would go that far, uh, but it did. That's Marco Wilson saying, hey, in that type of energy, what did people expect? I think the answer to that question is fairly simple. They expected you not to throw a shoe and get a 15-yard penalty and, you know, cost your team there the game. And in the, in the event that you did do that, maybe a little bit of an apology would not be the worst thing. This is a very, very typical thing. A lot of Florida players – kind of free to talk, say what they want to say, and sometimes it doesn't always paint the Gators program in the most positive light. Huge expose of, uh, not expose, probably profile is a better word here. Huge profile of, of Wilson at ESPN.com yesterday, but I don't know that it did the Florida program any favors, and I don't know that it did uh, Marco Wilson any personal favors there either, uh, but interesting stuff with that. Another interesting SEC through type story to get to, not directly related to the SEC, but eventually it could be. So the NCAA 
was in front of the uh, U.S. Supreme Court yesterday kind of arguing uh, a case that started with a former West Virginia player basically, uh, you know, kind of suing the NCAA over issues related to antitrust and, and amateurism and everything like that. And a lot of the justices, kind of from sort of both sides of the spectrum, ideological respect, uh, spectrum, were kind of really grilling the NCAA pretty hard yesterday on kind of, you know, how it views its status as, you know, kind of protectors of amateurism and things like that, and the idea that to a lot of folks, the you know the athletes who play these sports don't get paid, and some people think that they should. And the argument the NCAA seems intent on making, and you read a lot about this ESPN.com other places, the argument the NCAA seems intent on making is is that if the status of the amateur athletes changes, then it's going to be hard for the NCAA to continue to exist because fans won't like it as much if it becomes another version of professional sports and not college sports. This is the kind of thing that causes some people to roll their eyes. But as I've brought up a few times lately when these kinds of issues have come up, I take this argument very, very seriously. And frankly, there's a lot about the NCAA I don't like, and there are certain aspects of the NCAA that I don't trust. But this particular argument I do take really seriously, and I would suggest that you ought to take it seriously too. The reason why I think you ought to take it seriously is, is the NCAA says, listen, if this just becomes like a minor league version of professional sports, people won't like it. The reason why I think you should take that seriously is look around the rest of the world of sports. What other minor league version of sports has any level of televised popularity whatsoever? It doesn't exist at the football level, XFL and the other spring league that exists a couple years before that. They can't even get off the ground. No one wants to watch. Minor league baseball, last year there wasn't minor league baseball. As a you know sport in general, minor league baseball is contracting. It's getting smaller. There will be fewer teams. For as much as you know, rookies in major league baseball like Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Braves a couple of years ago are big business, when those same players were playing minor league baseball, they do no business at all. You know, Acuna was in Rome. Anyone could have gone to see him, but really for the most part, no one does. You know, young pre-professional athletes are just not big business in that same way. No one watches the G League in the NBA when guys skip college to go to Europe. No one really follows their career, at least in mass numbers, when they go over there to do that. The uh, the Corn Ferry Tour, the kind of precursor to the PGA Tour, not only can you not watch that on television, you can't even watch that on streaming videos. It, coverage of the events simply doesn't exist because there's no appetite for it among the public, apparently. So when the NCAA says, hey, if we become just a minor league sport, we'll lose our popularity, I think somehow, some way, there's a chance that we ought to consider that might be true. I mean, watch the NCAA basketball tournament right now. Some of these games are, frankly, not all that pleasing to watch. They're not all things of beauty. Yet, for the most part, even with ratings down this year, people still tune in in large numbers to watch this because somehow, I know this sounds corny and cliche, but the name on the front of the jersey, the school this teams that these players are playing for, seems to mean something, even if the names on the back of the jersey and the, at the basketball level get more obscure year after year after year. So this is a story worth following. The you know opinion of many folks in the media seems to be going aggressively in one direction, but I'm not quite so sure that folks shouldn't consider the other side of this debate as well. What the NCAA argued in front of the Supreme Court yesterday, to me, that is an argument at least worth considering, and we'll make that your SEC through. Let's talk to Dr. Brad Register right now. And boy, it's a great pleasure here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. You get a chance to speak to someone that can kind of fill us in on what, unfortunately, we're spending way too much time talking about lately, which is 
the injuries to key Georgia players, George Pickens, the wide receiver who is going to be out for a while with an ACL injury, and then lo and behold this week, uh, Jermaine Burton, the wide receiver, he's now dealing, another wide receiver now dealing with some injury stuff there as well. Dr. Brad Register from Athens Orthopedics Clinic who knows about so many of these kinds of medical procedures and the kind of recovery outlook that these Georgia players like Burton and Pickens are going to be dealing with. He joins us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp here today. First of all, Dr. Register, thanks so much for sharing your time with us. And, uh, you know, you're a former Georgia you know, letterman yourself, so obviously you've got you know, great affection for the red and black here. It is a shame that we're unfortunately talking about another wide receiver injury because when we first reached out to have you on, it was with the intentions of talking about George Pickens, and now we're talking about another injury here as well. Too much of that for Georgia as of late, I'm afraid. Well, Brandon, thank you for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it. And you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, we were all just a few weeks ago talking about how uh, George Pickens is finally doing his first spring practice. And here we are uh, now talking about now he's not doing his first spring practice anymore. But, but yeah, it is it's definitely a disappointment to be talking about that. So before we get to the Pickens thing, let me deal with the uh, Burton thing, which has just kind of come up this week. And, you know, the reports that we've been getting, and it's fair to point out that we're recording this on a Wednesday. It'll air here on a Thursday. So there's potential new information that could come to light here over the course of the next few hours. But as we understand things right now on a Wednesday afternoon, it, it certainly seems like the outlook for Jermaine Burton is better than it could have been. From a medical standpoint, what can you tell us about that, about you know, kind of best-case scenario here. Georgia fans are really hungry for some good news on the injury front. So, you know, based on kind of what you've heard here with the hyperextension and things along those lines, you know, what is a best-case scenario for Burton getting a chance to be back, maybe playing again sooner rather than later? Well, it sounds to me that I, you know, I don't have uh, personal specific information on his, but it sounds to me that he did not have any major structural damage on his, on his uh, exam today. So, uh, that's a very good thing. So, uh, I mean, with a hyperextension injury, there may be some bone bruising. I don't know that for sure, but there, there certainly could be. But I would say that it, I'd be very surprised if he comes back during this spring practice. Uh, I, I could be wrong about that. If it truly looks like a minor injury, I, d- I just think that with uh, everything that just went on with, with uh, George, I doubt they would rush him back. But, uh, I mean, if it's a hyperextension injury and there's no other further injury, I mean, I think this summer he more than likely will be – uh, full speed ahead and uh, you know going through the, the seven on seven drills and all running the routes with the quarterbacks and all that so I think uh, hopefully that's the case it sounds like there's no structural damage though, so he should be back uh, ready to go this summer and one of the things I think you were saying to me off the air was that you know you have examples in football sometimes where a guy visually it doesn't maybe look that serious sometimes ends up being worse than it seems and then you also have the opposite of that sometimes where you know, in a hyperextension situation to the naked eye, that looks terrible when a player goes down and has to be, you know, helped off the field. And I think it's been described as carted off in this particular case. Your mind immediately goes to kind of like the worst place possible on st- stuff like that. But sometimes there is a pathway where the injury is not as bad as it first looks. I'm sure for the, for the folks who saw it on the practice field when it happened, you, you, can't, you can't help but kind of think the worst. But sometimes these injuries have a way of not being as bad as they first look. Is that fair to say? That's absolutely true. And we briefly spoke about uh, the, the Bryce Harper injury, which I know this is a different sport, but uh, Bryce Harper, the, uh, the enemy of the Braves, had that uh, really gruesome hyperextension injury uh, running through first base a couple years ago. And, and I would have sworn that he tore his ACL or his PCL or something. And it uh, turns out that the reports were that he just had a bone bruise. And, I forget how long he was out. It was six or eight weeks, something like that. But, but you're right. It, it's a violent appearing injury. I mean, the knee goes backwards in, in a direction that it shouldn't go. The body lurches forward, and uh, 
it's really violent looking. And more often than not, when you see an injury like that, there will be some sort of structural damage. So uh, it sounds like it was somewhat similar type of injury that Burton sustained. So I definitely think that uh, he and uh, Georgia in general got lucky with that one if there's no if there's truly no structural damage. So not quite as lucky when it came to George Pickens last week with the injury that, that he's dealing with now. You hear all kinds of things when it comes to the ACL stuff. You hear, you know, comparisons to players who've made these, like, superhuman aggressive comebacks. And, you know, obviously in some cases players, sometimes it takes a little longer or sometimes they have a little bit of a setback along the way. You know, with with Burton, I wanted to ask you about best-case scenario, but with Pickens, it seems more fair to say realistic scenario. What is the outlook for his recovery right now? What is he kind of looking at in terms of his road back to football? Well, first of all, I guess the question is going to be when does he have his surgery? And as far as I know, he's not had his surgery yet. I haven't heard any reports about that. But So I guess the clock starts ticking once he finally does have his surgery. But, uh, you know, there's – we talked briefly before how in this day and age, and we've got much better technology when we re- reconstruct ACLs than we did uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But in this day and age, it's typically a seven- to nine-month recovery process. Uh, there was a – I briefly mentioned you, there was a push 20, 25 years ago to get people back in three or four months, yeah. and it was called accelerated rehab in the 90s they were doing it. Actually, a, a thought came to my head. Uh, the most famous example is Jerry Rice back in 97. Mm. He tore his ACL. I think it was the first game, and – he came back later. It was in you know August 31st, September 1st, something like that. He came back in middle of December. It was a big Monday night game, and he got hurt. He came back and played and uh, actually scored a touchdown. But when he fell, he, when he scored the touchdown, he broke his patella. He broke his mm-hmm. kneecap when he landed on it just because he didn't re-tear the ACL. But it just shows that rushing people back in three or four months is not a good idea. So if you're talking about realistic, uh, I mean, the most recent example, which I think you uh, mentioned the other day, was Amari Rogers coming yeah. back in, in five and a half yeah. months. I mean, that's pretty unlikely. I would be very surprised if someone's coming back in five and a half, six months. Uh, it just takes a long time for the knee to feel normal again. I mean, a, a realistic time might be uh, six to seven or seven months, I'd probably say, which uh, if you had a surgery soon would put you, uh, I guess, with the math, it was that late, late October, early November, something like that. And then, I guess the other question is uh, whether or not he decides to come back and play or whether or not he just decides to, to opt out, so to speak, and train for the NFL draft or, or something like that. But but I think, I mean, if he wants to come back, he should be back by seven to eight months. I'd be a little bit surprised if he didn't. Uh, the most important news that uh, I believe Coach Smart said publicly is that there was no other structural damage besides the ACL. And if that's true, I mean, that really makes all the difference. It's uh, the difference between someone who tore the meniscus on both sides or tore the MCL or, or a partial PCL tear or a cartilage defect, I mean, those make those types of things cause more swelling afterwards and you have to protect the knee more. And If it's truly an isolated ACL, then I think you should be able to come back in seven to eight months. So on this show, we try to you know give credence to a couple of different ideas at the same time. Obviously, selfishly, I and many of the folks who are watching and listening right now would want George to play again for Georgia. He's such a potential big part of a championship formula. But at the same time, he's got you know professional ambitions as well. His football career is going to extend along beyond 2021. Is he putting himself at an additional risk if he were to come back and play, as you said, maybe realistically in November, biggest games of the year, then come December, January, by playing in those games? How much of an additional risk is he taking on knowing that this is a guy who could be a very high NFL draft pick in the future? So that's a good question. And my answer to your question would be yes and no. Uh, so I, there is a slight additional risk. And uh, there have been studies that have shown that if someone uh, has ACL reconstruction, 
the most common time to re-tear that ACL is between 9 and 12 months after mm-hmm. the surgery. So essentially that's just saying that uh, when you first come back, you're a little more likely to re-tear it than you are a little further down the road as you, as you gain strength. And So I think – but, you know, not everyone's going to be getting the same rehab that George Pickens is. So uh, one thing that uh, Ron Corson, the athletic trainer, and his staff are uh, very good at and they've done for years is just training these players and uh, – you know, doing ACL prevention programs, but he'll he'll come out of this stronger than he was before. And I, I mean, I know he was in great shape before, but his hips, his knees, they'll be stronger than they were before. And uh, Ron and, uh, and and the uh, medical staff at UGA would never clear him to play unless he passes very specific sports testing. And what I mean by that is we have all these different drills that we'll put uh, athletes through, whether they're doing cone drills, they're cutting, they're doing single leg squats, they're doing jumps. They get on a machine that measures the strength and endurance uh, from the quadriceps and hamstrings from one leg to the other. There's a, something called like a power plate type thing where they can jump on it. We can measure explosiveness. So basically he has to ha- meet certain uh, categories, meet, meet certain landmarks, and he won't be cleared to play at all. So uh, once he's met those uh, necessary requirements to be able to return, I don't think he'd be putting himself at a huge extra risk. Now, I, I mentioned the, the highest risk, the highest, uh, the most common time to retail your ACLs between nine and 12 months, but uh, going through the type of rehab program he's going to go through, I mean, you know, that's kind of for all, all comers. All, that study was looking at all type of athletes, including yeah. high school athletes who maybe did therapy once or twice a week the whole time versus a guy who's doing it twice a day for seven or eight months. So, so I would say statistically maybe he's a slightly higher risk, but realistically he's probably not. And, and I would actually argue that a guy like him may be able to help himself more go to the NFL draft by showing how healthy it is and what can what he can do in a field before uh, before somebody has to draft him. I think that's a really interesting point. I'm, I'm glad you shared that. One more knee situation I want to address with you here for a moment, and this is a guy who's now a good bit farther away and uh, farther along in his recovery. That's JT Daniels at quarterback, who just stands to reason now much healthier you would think for 2021 than a lot of what he dealt with in 2020. Something that actually kept him off the football field for a long time. You know, how much healthier do you expect Daniels to be this season? And that increased mobility that comes, maybe it's increased confidence as well. How much better as a football player do you think that has a chance to make him, knowing that he's now another year removed from the initial surgical procedure here? I believe it has the potential to, to make a huge difference for him. Uh, I mean, I'll, I've not been involved with his medical care at all, but I, I watched him walk around at the Georgia-Florida game last year, and it looked like he had a little bit of a limp, and it looked like a guy who had trouble extending his knee all the way out. So uh, uh, you know, now that he's had some, uh, you know, another surgery to clean out his knee, you know, the, the reports are that I hear are that he's doing very well with that, and his knee feels good. So if you have confidence in your knee, then uh, I mean, it just changes everything as a quarterback. He's going to be able to step into his throws a little better. He's going to be able to plant and change direction when he's under under pressure better. So I, I think that it could make a huge difference for him, and I, I'm sure that the coaches are, uh, you know, after after an injury like that, it, it definitely is going to mess with your mechanics, with your footwork. I know the coaches have wanted to work on that, and I think there are limitations on how much you can work on that if a guy doesn't trust his knee. So uh, yeah, potentially it could be huge for him to, to have more confidence and more mobility in that knee this year. Let me squeeze in one more thing before I let you go, and you've been very generous with your time. mentioned before that you yourself, former Georgia Letterman, you leave UGA, you go to medical school, I believe at Johns Hopkins. You know, Tell me the story, if you don't mind, quickly here about how a UGA football player ends up doctor, now back working in Athens as an orthopedic surgeon. How does, how does all of that go down, and, and how much of that did you already know you wanted for you to be your career path while you were playing at UGA? That's a good question. I, I had an idea. I wanted to go into medicine. My, uh, my grandfather on my mother's side is a, a doctor, and his father is a doctor down in Florida, so it always kind of uh, interests me, but uh, I wasn't 100% sure about that, but 
I had several minor injuries as a, as a kid, both in high school and in college. And I initially was thinking about going to physical therapy. I worked with uh, uh, several physical therapists. And you spend so much time with them during a rehab process that you really uh, get to know them well and appreciate what they do. But uh, ultimately, uh, during college, I did decide I wanted, wanted to go into medicine and really tried to take as much uh, spend as much time with the team medical staff. Ron Elliott was the uh, the team medical doctor at the time, and uh, Nixon Robinson and Butch Mulhern were the orthopedic surgeons that were at Athens Orthopedic Clinic where I am now. And I just tried to, to pick their brain, and I, I would hang around them sometimes when I could and just get an idea of what they were doing. But uh, it was definitely a lot of work. I mean, uh, anyone who's played a college sport can tell you that there are much, uh, many demands on your time. And if you, if you want to maintain good grades while you're doing that, you just don't have free time in the fall. I mean, yeah. period. I would have a little bit of free time in the spring, especially when we were just working out and not doing practice. But there was just no time to uh, to waste. But you kind of get in that mindset of just uh, you know you're doing practice, you're you're going to school and you're studying. And uh, other than the weekends, and uh, once you get that way, I mean it, it worked out for me. But uh, yeah, I just kind of decided early on it was something I was interested in doing, and uh, and uh, uh, I've been very blessed to be able to make it this far. Well, I would imagine as a former athlete, now physician, when you're sitting across uh, you know in a meeting with a another athlete who has, you know, his own or her own health, you know, kind of in mind after an injury, I'm sure you must have sort of a special feeling about what that must be like, because as a former athlete, you understand how important athletics is to so many of the athletes that you're treating now. I think that does help for sure. I mean, it can be, uh, I mean, mentally it's very difficult when you've been, when something gets taken away from you, something that maybe you took for granted that you you can play sport and all of a sudden you can't. So I certainly can empathize with those uh, athletes when they injure. And I've never had a, ACL, but tore both my MCLs like many offensive linemen do, and you've had multiple other uh, procedures done over the years. So, I certainly I, I try to uh, to express empathy, and I think that I think it does help being on this end, having uh, actually been through that type of experience. Dr. Brad Register, Athens Orthopedic Clinic, former UGA player there as well. Tremendous insight into what Jermaine Burton's going through at the moment, what George Pickens is going to be facing here over the course of the next few months. Uh, obviously a little bit on JT Daniels there as well. Dr. Register, thank you so much for your time here on this show today. It is a great pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. And certainly we'll look forward to hopefully getting a chance to talk under uh, happier terms here, uh, but more about the Georgia Bulldogs on the field, less about injuries here in the months to come, we hope anyway. Well, that sounds great. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Uh, good stuff there from uh, Dr. Brad Register. Very, very interesting. For those of you on video, apologize for the audio issue there at the uh, beginning of that. I'll also tell you this. We talked earlier about the NCAA arguing in front of the Supreme Court yesterday. Read AJC.com. Really interesting look at the name image likeness bill that has now passed in the state of Georgia. Some specific details worth your attention money earned, at least according to this legislation, would have to be put in an escrow account and then obtained by the athlete after graduation or leaving school. But right now, a lot of states kind of seeking their own name, image, likeness type stuff. Georgia now the latest in that discussion. AJC.com has a lot more on that. Also, on a lighter note here, and maybe now that the Jermaine Burton thing, as you heard uh, Brad Ratchers was speaking about before, not as serious, we can kind of laugh about this. John Paul Williams sharing this from our buddy Michael Morrow, known as Mad Dog on Twitter. Uh, maybe why Georgia's had some knee injuries. If you look there, you may see a disguised Dan Mullen at Georgia practice. Pretty funny stuff. I appreciate John Paul Williams sharing that. I appreciate all of you being here. In fact, speaking of those lousy, stinking Gators, how about Gator Hater Countdown? 212 days from right now. Georgia goes back to Jackson, gets another win of those lousy, stinking Gators. We'll see you tomorrow at Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. 
and on the podcast time now for our rs andrews podcast cool down we'll try not to go too long on this because the show itself is actually pretty long today but i hope you enjoyed that with former uga letterman dr brad register and of course the great former georgia wide receiver terrence edwards and don't forget you can be a part of the rs andrews podcast cool down hit me up on twitter at dog nation daily or you can uh, drop your comment section here when we post the show at dognation.com. I've got a couple good comments I'm going to read here. First, quick reminder that RS Andrews, the one you turn to, because the RS stands for rapid service. That means if you're dealing with an air conditioning, a heating, or a plumbing electric need, RS Andrews will show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the price is promised. As we head towards the springtime, don't forget air conditioning is about to be working overdrive. Get your system tuned back up to factor fresh specs with our friends at RS Andrews. But tonight, it'll be really cold. So, Heating system, they do those there as well. R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com. Off the top of the show today, we talked about what Tony Barnhart said yesterday on SEC Country Live related to Georgia's aggressive scheduling model. And on yesterday's show, we also talked about the schedule coming up in 2026 and 2027 with Georgia doing a home-and-home with Louisville. Uh, R.H. Claghorn on our comment section says, I happen to like the move to add Louisville to the schedule. It's better to add a Power 5 cupcake than an FCS team. Playing in Ohio State is great for the regular season, but can also knock the team out of playoff contention. The playoff committee has shown that having a perfect record is more important than strength of schedule with the way things are set up now. That last point is also something we dealt with today that, I mean, you do have to acknowledge that the committee right now likes pretty records. They like 12 and 0s, 11 and 1s, and they don't really seem to give as much consideration to who you played as much as they may pay lip service to. Their actual actions suggest something different than that. I think that, uh, RH is correct on that. As far as playing a kind of a mid-level Power 5 team as opposed to more of like an Ohio State, Georgia's going to be playing plenty of those obviously elite-level Power 5 programs too. Here's what you say about Louisville is that, you know, there's a chance that when Louisville comes to Athens, I think it's in 2027, that it's no more attractive a ticket than, you know, Arkansas State would be. There's a chance that's that's possible. Obviously, Louisville sometimes is not a very good team. But on the flip side of that, a few years ago, Louisville had the Heisman Trophy winner. And, you know, that there's at least the possibility that Louisville is an attractive game that makes fans glad they have that ticket. You know, you kind of have the possibility of it swinging both ways. Certainly a winnable Power 5 game. But just overall, it's just better to play competitive football. I mean, there's nothing worse than you know, going into a Saturday knowing a lot of this kind of stuff happens from week one to week two, where it seems like it's very common in college football. You spend all summer like so geared up to see your team play and you get this big week one game against whoever it's going to be. You know, it's been a lot of, you know, Georgia Clemson, for instance, this this uh, year. So, in fact, let's actually look at this because I'm not even 100 percent sure. So Georgia um, Clemson for week one and then you go week two against uab so this is the way it kind of goes all summer long uh, football is coming back it's, it's it's here it's back georgia clemson georgia clemson week one as big as it gets and then week two you're playing uab which actually is not as bad as sometimes it could be but it's like from the highest high of a huge week one game you kind of just sort of you know the bottom falls out of the atmosphere and the mood for week two because you're just not playing the same level of competition really this is the only place we see anything like this happen in sports where a team of such high stature you know regularly plays teams that are much of much lower stature they're just not competitive games if you re- if, if you reinvented college football from scratch right now there's no way these kinds of games would be on the schedule they just would not be so any sort of power five game you know going to it's kind of a weird way to say this but Going to Sanford Stadium, 
knowing there's a possibility that Georgia could lose is just more interesting for fans. Fans don't want them to lose, but, you know, folks crave a little bit of mystery in their life. You know, going to the stadium in a game that you already know Georgia's going to win, there's just only so many ways you can make that interesting. And for the fans who may only get to go to one game a year and they're lucky enough to secure tickets to a game like UAB, I certainly appreciate that understand that. But, you know, on more broad terms, that's just not the kind of football that the paying fan wants to see now, I believe. So a good comment all the way around there from our buddy uh, R.H. Clackhorn. Forestry Dog checks in. This is really funny. Obviously, podcast cooldown, not a visual medium. I believe this may be a golden shoe for tomorrow. Certainly a competitor for one. Forestry Dog says, B.A., Florida had their pro day on Wednesday, and Marco Wilson posted a 43.5-inch vertical lead. There was a lot of motivation for him to jump that high. Here's the clip. And what you see is... Wilson is jumping here, and he's jumping up to grab a golden shoe up above him. Forestry Dog, this is incredibly well done. So funny. Uh, very, very good job. I, I, I love the the creativity of our audience. Forestry Dog maybe is as good as anything we've seen right there. Uh, really fun stuff all the way around. Y'all, thanks for being here on our podcast, Cool Down. I really appreciate you uh, continuing to listen even after the show is done for a little bit of comment stuff. And for those of you who are participating by sharing your comments, I really appreciate that there as well. Hope you all have a great day, and I'll see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to talking to you then.